Hello, and welcome to Cloud9Fin, a podcast on all things leveraged finance. We follow corporate debt from issuance to redemption, credits from performing to distressed, and everything in between. I'm Jennifer Munnings, and today we'll be sitting down with Christina Wyatt, Deputy General Counsel and Chief Sustainability Officer at Persephone to discuss emerging ESG regulations in the U.S. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's so nice to be on your on your podcast. So before we get into the nitty gritty of the regulations, can you give us some background info into the new California and the proposed SEC regulation? What were your initial impressions of the disclosure regulations? And do you think that the new California ones will put additional pressure on the SEC to release its now twice delayed rule? Sure, happy to, to dive into all of that. Um, so just to level set a little bit at, at the front end, the California legislation consists of two different bills that were passed by the legislature and signed by the governor. There's SB 253, which um, relates to greenhouse gas emissions. It requires public and private companies that are U.S. US entities that do business in California and have a billion dollars in revenue to report their scopes one, two, and three greenhouse gas emissions. Um, So it's a bit of a mouthful, but um, basically that's the carbon accounting uh, disclosure regulation. Then there's a companion law that was in SB 261, which relates to climate related financial risks. And it's basically the same universe of companies, but slightly broader. So it applies to US-based entities that do business in California that have $500 million in revenue. So a slightly lower threshold. So it's gonna capture a larger universe of companies that do business in California. So SB 253 is the carbon disclosure um, law that requires companies to disclose their scope one, two, and three emissions. And it will apply to a broad swath of companies U.S.-based companies doing business in California that have a billion dollars in revenue. SB 253 is a carbon or climate risk disclosure law that is slightly broader in scope, but quite similar. So it covers U.S. entities that do business in California that have $500 million in annual revenue. So it's a slightly broader universe of companies. And that law will require companies to disclose their risks associated with climate change and how they're managing those risks. So it's two separate laws that basically put together your carbon emissions and your climate-related risks. Now, the SEC proposal is still pending. We're waiting for adoption any day now, but it kind of wraps both of those things together. So it has a component that would require companies to, public companies or companies reporting in the US public markets to disclose emissions information and also to disclose information related to their climate related uh, financial risks and what their strategies are for addressing those risks. So all all together, the two California bills and the SEC proposal have a fair amount of similarity. And so what were your initial impressions of the California regulation? I think that for us in Europe, we were a bit surprised that the regulation came out. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think a lot of people were surprised that California kind of uh, ran ahead of the SEC. Of course, its audience is slightly different. The SEC's rules 
or proposals are focused on investors and the California laws are focused more broadly on risk to companies in California and how they're addressing those risks. So it's not entirely overlapping, but it's certainly, it's a decent Venn diagram with a decent area of, of overlap. And I think a lot of people were actually quite surprised that California um, was able to pass these two pieces of legislation. Um, they didn't come out of nowhere in that there was legislation that was proposed last year that very narrowly failed. And obviously, you know, this year they passed, there was quite a bit of corporate support actually for these two bills that I think really helped to push them over the line. And then ultimately they garnered quite broad support from the legislators and also from Governor Newsom when he, when he signed them. He has been quite an outspoken advocate for um, addressing climate change. And so from that perspective, it's quite consistent with uh, the moves that he's been taking. And so do you imagine that the the newly released California regulations are going to put pressure on the SEC? Yeah, I think I think they do. I think in one sense, you know, it sort of raises the urgency and there's a clear sense that if the SEC doesn't step in and provide investors with the information that they need related to climate change, that the states are are going to be stepping in and and doing that job uh, in in the absence of a strong SEC rule. So that I think is fairly clear that handwriting is is on the wall. And um, you know, California has certainly taken the first step, and I think it's probably not the last state to do so. On the other hand, I think it takes some pressure off of the SEC in that it changes the economic baseline for the SEC's required economic analysis that it needs to do any time a federal agency, including the SEC, adopts a rule. It has to go through this whole economic analysis process and weigh the costs versus the benefits of the rule. This is no different. The SEC has to go through an economic analysis. It did that in the proposal, and it will do so in the adopting release. But the relevance of the California law, particularly SB 253, but both SB 253 and 261, is that it now forces many companies that are reporting to the SEC to have to make quite similar disclosures to what the SEC is asking for. And so the baseline that you would compare um, what they're currently doing to what they would have to do under an SEC rule um, is quite different. Now they're required, many of these companies are already required to disclose this information. And so the marginal difference that an SEC rule would make is not so great. And I think that helps the SEC in justifying its rule. That's very interesting. Um, one of the hot topics of the two regulations is scope three, supply chain emissions. Um, so at the moment, they are included in the proposed SEC regulation. What do you make of the legal challenges the inclusion of scope three emissions reporting has faced and will inevitably face? Yeah, I think that um, there will certainly be legal challenges to the SEC rule. That has been made clear. Plenty of um, plenty of people have stood up and said that they intend to challenge the SEC rule. Um, that said, I think there's also a fair amount of misunderstanding about what the proposed Scope 3 disclosure requirements, what 
all of the disclosure requirements are designed to do and would do. They are clearly focused on investor protection and they're all about disclosure as opposed to some of the um, the noise out there or some of the commentary about the proposal indicate that the SEC is trying to regulate corporate conduct, that it's trying to cause companies to decarbonize, that it's picking on oil and gas companies, et cetera. And it really, if you look at the proposal, it doesn't do any of that. It just asks companies to tell investors about their climate-related risks. And for many companies, scope three is actually the largest source of their transition risk. And in some cases, by a large measure, for some companies, it's over 90% of their overall emissions, which is a good proxy for transition risk. And so when you view it through that lens, for many companies, the risk that they face can only be properly understood if you understand their scope one, two, and three emissions holistically. Absolutely. Um, I definitely understand what you're talking about in terms of scope three emissions accounting for the majority of a company's um, emissions. We find that often in, uh, in the work that I do. So I think that the regulations come at a really interesting time in the U.S. where we have, like you said, some states like California and potentially Illinois that are developing disclosure regulations that align with some more of our global standards like the ISSB. But at the same time, we have states like Florida and Texas that are actively legislating against ESG integration. So what does this tell you about the regulatory landscape and the state of ESG in the U.S.? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the ISSB. I actually think that over time, we will move more and more toward adherence to global standards like the ISSB standards, the International Sustainability Standards Board. And in fact, the standards that they've come out with are quite similar to the SEC proposal. And there's actually a through line with Europe where um, even though Europe follows a double materiality regime. When you look at the financially material component of that in climate, it also really kind of hews fairly closely to the ISSB standards and the SEC proposal. So all of that's good. I think there is a common path that we're starting to see emerge where what used to be a very fragmented and somewhat confusing reporting environment is actually harmonizing. And we're starting to see that there is a path that looks to disclosure of greenhouse gas emissions in accordance with the greenhouse gas protocol and disclosure of climate risks in accordance with the TCFD. And all that's good. Harmonization is good. It's good for companies. It's good for investors. It's good for the efficient allocation of capital. Um, you know, As to the political divide in the U.S., there's no doubt that we are in a hugely divisive world right now. Um, you know, it, it's divisive around climate, but we're also divided on a whole host of issues. And I think that that's dangerous. I think it's unhelpful. I think it's not good for our country. I think it's not good for our economy. I think it's not good for the risks associated with climate change and our ability to uh, move forward and, and start to address those risks for the benefit of investors and the markets. Um, but it is the world that we that we live in. Um, you know, I think that there's kind of a a wish that 
if the Republicans were to win the White House, for example, that all of a sudden climate change would just go away. But in point of fact, you know, the science is the science and, you know, whoever's sitting in the White House, we still have climate change and it's still going to present significant risks. And of course, the sooner we're able to start to really face those risks and build strategies to address them, then the better capable we'll be of actually addressing them effectively. So I'll say that the incoming regulations in in the U.S., they largely focus on climate. So other issues like social and governance issues are a bit unaddressed in these regulations. Do you anticipate a focus on these areas in the future? Um, Do you see an imbalance impacting the ability of U.S. companies to be competitive in an increasingly sustainable sustainability conscious global market? Yeah, so the SEC actually has on its agenda a couple of other rules. One relates to human capital management, which still has yet to be proposed, a board diversity proposal that, again, um, is is on the, the schedule but hasn't come out yet. So the SEC is focused on some other issues, but you're quite right that there's a whole host of of ESG sustainability issues that are not on the SEC's agenda. And I think that that, again, points to the importance of the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, in helping to create a framework so that companies that are operating globally and that are facing a host of issues that increasingly are are material and that investors want to know about, that there can be standards that help companies to be able to report in a consistent and comparable way. And they can help investors to have information that's consistent and comparable and reliable on which to base their investment decisions. And I think over time, more and more U.S. companies, global companies, will be looking to the ISSB standards to help guide some of those disclosure decisions that they're making. So does the California regulation signal to you that there is investor appetite for um, integrating climate risks into their portfolios? I think there's, there's lots of evidence that investors care deeply about climate because it represents financial risk. And you see that manifested in um, lots of asset owners, asset managers, questionnaires that they've been issuing to companies for years, some of the expectations that they've established for companies to disclose information about their climate-related financial risk. So I think that this has been an issue for many, many years. And then there are variations on that in terms of whether investors are simply incorporating that information as part of their overall risk management processes, or whether they're designing products that are specifically climate focused. And I think for both of those purposes, the climate focused products, as well as just general risk management, we've come to a point where investors writ large want to have this information because they need to understand the risks associated with the companies that they're investing in. 
Absolutely. I think it also speaks to the need to remain competitive um, in some instances, whereas in Europe is kind of leading the charge in terms of sustainable investing. Um, they're expanding on new frontiers with the TNFD, the launch of the Task Force for Nature-Related Disclosures, for example. Do you anticipate anything like that or adoption of the TNFD becoming relevant in the U.S.? Or do you imagine that it will largely stay focused on climate? That's such a great question. You know, it's interesting with with climate, the companion voluntary reporting framework to the TNFD, of course, is the TCFD, so the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, and that ran well ahead of regulation. So it was actually industry, investors, and, and companies that drove the adoption of the TCFD. And so you have loads of companies around the world that are reporting to the TCFD that have been using the TCFD framework in their own risk analysis and their own management of their climate-related financial risks. And now you have regulation coming in on the back end that is is mandating that and, and standardizing it. I could well imagine that something similar would happen with the, the TNFD. I think that given the amount of agony that the climate proposal has has caused in terms of just you know the amount of comments and the amount of work at the SEC, et cetera, and just the political brouhaha around it. I wouldn't hold my breath for a TNFD rule or a nature rule coming out of the SEC anytime soon. But I do think that nature will be one of the topics, or we know nature will be one of the topics that um, is relevant to the ISSB and that as those standards are developed, companies will have more clear, they'll have clearer markers as to what they ought to be disclosing, how they ought to be thinking about how nature might represent financial risk and opportunity for them. And so I think we will see companies disclosing more about nature and investors expecting that information more and more. Do you anticipate that where there are gaps, potential gaps in the SEC reporting that states will um, take up the mandate the way that California has um, in terms of the climate regulation? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they did. It wouldn't surprise me. I know that New York has a bill that's that's pending that looks very much like, or two bills that look very much like California's SB 253 and 261. Illinois is, is thinking about uh, doing the same. So um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if, if we saw more state legislation on climate. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you were able to come on. I think that it was great to hear you speak about this topic. It's clear that you're so like deeply involved and you really care to see this happen. So I'm, I'm very grateful that you were on. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for tuning in. And please let us know if you have any feedback. You can reach us anytime by emailing team at ninefin.com. Check in next week to hear the latest on U.S. markets with our colleague, Will Cater-Smith, and we'll be back the week after that. See you then!